Last week, we began a series called Influencers. And Pastor Tyler did a great job of introducing us to the idea of what an influencer is. And he used the example of Taylor Swift and her 180 million followers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have 180 million people listening to my voice, that's a lot of people I'm influencing. I would have clapped there, but that's okay. Let's not go with that yet. Hey, let's start here. Influence. Let's define the word influence as we build on that uh, what Pastor Tyler talked about last week. Influence is the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behavior, opinions, etc., of others. The capacity that we all possess to be a compelling force in other people's decisions in their lives. Therefore, an influencer is a person or thing that exerts influence. So I should say here, as a preface, that the most powerful influencer of beliefs in any context is direct experience. The most powerful influencer of beliefs is direct experience. So, today, I want you to understand that your personal journey of pain, or whatever it is that the season you're in is dishing out to you may be the greatest influencer in the lives of the people that you're called to reach and connect. Whatever it is that you're walking through is the mirror through which other people are viewing the God that you serve. But if you don't see that, if you have a blind spot to that reality, then you will take your pain for granted and you will assume that your pain has no purpose. And so rather than reflect the character of God, you will quit before your purpose is accomplished. So today, to talk about this, we're going to look at the story of a tall, dark, and handsome man called Joseph. Now, I know you all think I'm talking about me again, but I am not. I'm talking about Joseph in the Scriptures, of whom 14 chapters are dedicated to his story. Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis chapter 50. Very few people in the scripture have that much said regarding their story. So Joseph is a man that is critical that we study. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend today answering a series of questions, eight questions to be precise. But so that it's a fair fight, I'm going to answer four of them and you're going to answer the other four. But we won't give you the mic, we'll have you take notes to answer the questions that you have to answer so that we can get out of here sometime today. So the first question which I'll answer for you is this. What was Joseph's blind spot? What was Joseph's blind spot? His blind spot, I'm not gonna keep this secret, his blind spot was his complete lack of social awareness. His emotional intelligence was so lacking that he was unable to recognize pain or what was going on in other people's lives. He was so consumed with himself. So many of us are in that place. There's so much going on in our own lives, we think that our lives are about us. We don't realize that God, who is telling a larger story with our lives, is using our story for the benefit of others. And so our focus is solely on ourselves, just like Joseph's was. But don't take my word for it. Let's see what the scripture says. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. 
be gentle with one another, sensitive. Notice what it says. Don't worry about being right. Be sensitive. Be gentle with one another. This is what we as Christ followers are called to reflect, especially in such a dire season as we're walking through. I get that we all have opinions. I get that we all have ideas about how things should go. But I hate to break this news to you. Your ideas and opinions count for zero, just as mine do. God's opinion is the only opinion that ultimately matters. What he wants, what he has ordained for us is ultimately what we as Christ followers must pursue. But this was a character flaw of Joseph's. He wasn't gentle with others or sensitive. In fact, he was not the easiest person in the world to live with. He boasted about his dreams, he tattled on his brothers, and he strutted around like a peacock dressed in fine clothes, letting everyone know I'm the favorite son. Nobody wants to live with a guy like that except maybe my wife. <laughs> One night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? Watch this. And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. You would think that a man with emotional intelligence, you and I would say, maybe it's time to stop telling people about my dreams. Maybe it's time to be quiet and just love my brothers, not Joseph. Watch this. The Bible says, soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? You would think that having found out that his brothers hated him because of his bragging, he would have stopped, but not Joseph. And this time he included his dad in the equation and his mom. I need you to see something about this story because as we go deeper into the story, you'll recognize that his mother died giving birth to his youngest brother, Benjamin. So neither his father nor his mother ever came and bowed down before him. Yet we know that his dream was from God. Sometimes, because we are consumed with focusing on ourselves, we can miss God's greater purpose by adding our own version of the story. Because we're so focused on wanting to be right. We're so focused on wanting our own way as opposed to God's way. Clearly, while Joseph deserved some of the blame for the dysfunction of his family, for the friction that was going on, it wasn't all his fault. With all due respect, his father Jacob could have used a lesson in marriage and family raising therapy. You don't believe me? Let's look at this. Here's mistake number one. Jacob married a woman that he didn't love so he could marry one that he did. He first married Leah 
and then he married Rachel. Mistake number two, the two wives were sisters. You might as well have taken a lit match and thrown it into a firework display on July 4th. He married two sisters. Mistake number three, because the first sister Leah bore him sons and the second sister Rachel, whom he loved, bore him none, Jacob decided to take concubines and girlfriends and had multiple children by multiple women. So soon, he had a covey of kids. How foolish is this? Now this is the environment in which Joseph was raised. The 11th of 12 kids. And Rachel, who was his second wife, once she gave birth to Joseph, Joseph became Jacob's favorite. And pretty soon his brothers got tired of this dreamer. And they sold him into slavery for pennies on the dollar. And suddenly all of Joseph's dreams were shattered through this one childhood traumatic event. Now I know you're sitting there looking at me with this religious tone of voice, but I would ask you this. How would you respond if your brother or sister sold you into slavery? Imagine the trauma and how it would shape your journey and your story. This is what Joseph was dealing with. And just like Joseph, for most of us, our blind spots are often rooted in the childhood trauma we've experienced. But for too many of us, we bury it. We sit on it and act like it has nothing to do with anything. So, the second question this morning, and your first question to answer is this. What is your blind spot? I'll say that again. What is your blind spot? You see, if you don't identify it and work on it, circumstances against your control will ultimately identify that blind spot. And you will be forced to take the more circuitous route to your destiny, a road that God didn't actually plan for you. And that road might take you through very public failure. But I know that in a room like this, Sanford, South Orlando, I'm aware that there's some of us who have already arrived at that place in our journey. We're already at the place of failure. Our blind spots have shaped our journey and now we're sitting in failure and we're thinking, there's no way out. Well, listen to this. Failure isn't something that happens to those people or something we can avoid by being good. It is not a grade we get to skip. Life is not a class where each choice, decision or mistake will hand us a pass or fail an A for perfection or an E for effort. It is not something our privilege, our money, or our pride can protect us from. Like bad hair days or heartbreaks or the flu, failure is coming for us all. But failure doesn't want to be our assassin. It wants to teach us the hard things. The aftermath of when we fail is life's best x-ray. It tells us where we are broken wounded, diseased. It tells us where we've been ignoring our hurt, our wants, our needs. It shows us who we are and, and who we've been and who we can be. This is taken from How to Fix a Broken Record by Amina Brown. Here's what I know. On the 20th of April, pain told me there was something broken. And I went to the hospital. And after a series of x-rays and EKGs, they discovered a blockage in my heart that could have killed me. 
And so the pain led to the introspective x-ray or EKG that revealed the things that were broken, that needed to be fixed. Failure is not the enemy. So our third question and my second question to answer is this. What was Joseph's response to his circumstances? Initially, he chose not to face his past. You see, by the time Joseph saw his brothers again, more than 10 years had gone by. By the time he saw his brothers, after being thrown in the pit and then sold to a caravan of slave traffickers, the next time he saw his brothers, he'd been prime minister of Egypt for over eight years, almost 10 years. Prior to that, he'd served faithfully in Potiphar's prison for two years. And who knows how long he'd served as a slave in Potiphar's household before prison. So for over 10 years, Joseph had not seen his family, but for over eight years, he'd been prime minister of Egypt. As prime minister of Egypt, he was one of the most powerful men on earth. He could have traveled anywhere. He could have gone anywhere. He knew where his family lived, but he never once went to Canaan to seek his family. He never reached out to them. The brokenness in him, even though this kid from Canaan had arrived, Joseph realized that it was better for him to keep his family secrets secret. Untouched, untreated. Joseph was content to leave his past in the past, but God was not. You see, restoration matters to God. More often than not, the healing of the heart involves the healing of the past. But don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus says. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, not one that you have against a friend, one that a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. We wonder why many of our prayers are not answered. This is why. Because we're carrying offenses that other people have against us and offenses that we have against other people. And we wonder that our lives don't seem to reflect the character of Jesus. But the scriptures are very clear how we must respond. But Joseph had chosen to keep this secret secret. So what did God do? God shook things up. Watch this. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because COVID-19 was severe throughout the world. That's not what your Bible says? Well, think about it. The famine was global, just like COVID-19. And you and I are Joseph. We are the church that God has established to reveal himself to the world. But we're busy arguing with one another about who is right. About the color of skin. What a distraction. What a satanic ploy. 
And get this, in the long line of folks appealing to Egypt for, for a handout, look what the cat dragged in. Joseph's brothers. They didn't recognize him. How could they? He was clean shaven, dressed in royal garb, speaking in Egyptian. There's nothing about him that said, this is the little brother we sold into slavery. But he recognized them. Watch this. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Everything that God had shown him was true. His brothers would bow before him. But it wasn't his place to tell them that. He was so busy focused on himself that he didn't recognize that God was elevating him for the world, not for his own purpose. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning in Sanford, South Orlando, thinking, man, God gave me dreams years ago. But you know, I'm a little old. My gut is a little bigger. Uh, maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was indigestion. Maybe that's not going to happen. That's what Joseph probably thought. But before you begin to celebrate Joseph and his success, may I remind you the road that he had to travel through pain and failure to get there? You see, he was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. He saw a vision of him being in a palace, but not that way, not as a servant, not as a slave. There were false allegations from Potiphar's wife. And Joseph was thrown in prison for two years simply for living upright and demonstrating character and integrity. Two years in prison. But how could he have known in the, in the progress of his journey, in the pain of the progress, that he was slowly making progress towards God's greater purpose for his life, towards his destiny? So our fourth question this morning, and your question to answer is this. Who do you have to make things right with in order to step into your greater purpose? In case you missed it, let me ask it again. Who do you have to make things right with in order to step into your greater purpose? Question five. What was the strength of Joseph's character? Was it resilience? Was it faith? Commitment? Integrity? Honor? Vision? Whatever you decide, whether you decide all of these characteristics were qualities that Joseph displayed or just one or two of them, whatever the case, it's important that you know this, that in order for him to successfully navigate through his season of pain, he had to display every single one of these characteristics. Why? Because it isn't what you know that helps you successfully navigate difficult seasons. It's what you do with what you know. It's what you do with what you know. This sermon will not change anybody's life. But what you do with it will. What you do with it will change people's lives. 
if you allow God to shape your story and your journey through this. You see, resilience, faith, commitment, integrity, honor, vision are all character traits that every single Christ follower should display. But I should say it this way. Your character is not built during adversity. It is demonstrated. If you haven't built character in the ordinary mundane moments, when adversity strikes, there is nothing to show. If you squeeze a PB&J sandwich, honey doesn't come out. PB&J is what comes out. What you put in it is what comes out. Man, I think that's profound. You know, in spite of his experiences interpreting dreams, interpreting his own dreams to his brothers who hated him, interpreting the dream of Pharaoh's cupbearer, the butler, while he was in prison, like day two after getting into prison. He's interpreting dreams for the baker and the cupbearer. And suddenly he thinks maybe this is a way out. And he says to Pharaoh's cupbearer, when you are restored to your position, remind Pharaoh that I'm innocent. And the Bible says as soon as the cupbearer was released, he forgot promptly about Joseph. And so for two years he languished in prison. But in spite of that, Joseph chose to continue to pursue his calling rather than sit on his gift. Watch this. Two years passed and Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile River. The head cupbearer then spoke up and said to Pharaoh, I just now remembered something. Idiot. <laughs> Two years later. I'm sorry, I didn't say that over the mic. I'm sorry, I should have told you this long ago. It so happened that there was a young Hebrew slave there with us. He belonged to the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, each dream separately. Things turned out just as he interpreted. I was returned to my position and the head baker was impaled. Pharaoh at once sent for Joseph. They brought him on the run from the jail cell. That means he was brought quickly. But he cut his hair, put on clean clothes, and came to Pharaoh. I love that story. I love that part of the story. In case you missed it, that morning he woke up a prisoner. That night he was prime minister. That night he was prime I don't know what God has in store for your journey and your story. But in the midst of your obedience, this morning you might be waking up in prison, but tonight you'll be prime minister. If you'll be obedient to what God is saying. So question six, and your question. What gifts are you sitting on because you've been hurt in the past? What gifts are you sitting on because you've been hurt in the past? Our seventh question, and my final question to answer is this. What was Joseph's destiny? Now some of you might say, of course, it's obvious it was to become prime minister of Egypt. You'd be forgiven for thinking that if that's what you said, but you'd be wrong. His destiny was not to become prime minister of Egypt. His destiny was to save a world from famine. Joseph's greater calling 
was to interpret a dream that God gave to a pagan king so that this pagan king would recognize the authority of God on Joseph's life, a God that he didn't worship and would place him as prime minister in Egypt overseeing the saving of food for the seven years of famine to come. And here's what Pharaoh said. No one in Egypt will lift either hand or foot without Joseph saying so. <laughs> Potiphar lived in Egypt. So Potiphar was now subject to the very man who once was his slave. So here's Joseph. A greater calling and purpose to change and transform a world, but God first needed to transform Joseph. He needed to break the arrogance and the pride so that he could fulfill his greater calling to save a world. You and I are Joseph. Our world is desperately looking for answers. One minute, there's a resurgence of COVID. Next minute, there's a dip. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. Some are saying it's a conspiracy theorist theory. Some are saying it's real. Whatever you're saying, until you know people who have been killed by this disease, it doesn't hit close to home. And we're all susceptible. But God, if we have prepared ourselves for this moment, when He is about to redeem the world from the famine of hearing the Word of God. Make no mistake about it. There is a lot at stake now, just as there was then. So Joseph's obedience and compassion ended up not only feeding the entire world, but converting the heart of a pagan king. One of the greatest, most powerful rulers on earth in that day, listen, to the testimony of this king in the name that he gave to Joseph. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Zaphenath Panea, which means God speaks and he lives. Notice it's capital G God, not the multiple small G gods of Egypt. So Joseph's pain and failure resulted in the salvation of a pagan king who saved the whole world. So the final question that I would ask you this morning, and the most important question of all, whose destiny is hanging in the balance contingent upon your obedience? Maybe someone in your family? Maybe a neighbor? Maybe a best friend? Maybe someone who's slowly dying of COVID? Who needs what God has sent you to deliver. Whatever the case, your obedience, just like Joseph's, is the requirement for the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. But that does not even begin until you have a relationship with Jesus. What an honor and a privilege it is for me to stand here this morning as we do every single Sunday that Action Church gathers. And let you know that there is one who died and paid a price for you, the ultimate sacrifice, 
And he's here waiting to meet you at the place of your greatest need. To bring you into relationship with him so that you can begin the march towards your greater purpose and destiny. So, all over this room, if you would, eyes closed and heads bowed, in a place of contemplative prayer, I would ask for those of you who are here right now in Sanford, in South Orlando, for those of you who would say to me, I, I, I have never had a relationship with Jesus. I've run all my life from that. I come from a broken place, a broken family. My life is upside down and I don't think I have anything to offer. You are the very reason Jesus died. And all it takes this morning is that you acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior and that he paid the ultimate price and sacrifice for you. And if you would simply do that today, you can be redeemed and saved. And so I would ask all of our auditoriums right now, if there's just one person that would say, I need a relationship with Jesus, just slip your hand up high so I can see you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you forward. God bless you. I bet all of our auditorium's hands are going up. Thank you so much for those hands. Go ahead and place your hands down and just pray this prayer with me as I pray it out loud. Say something like this. Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I believe that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that He is my Lord and Savior. I surrender my heart and my life to you today. Come dwell in me by your Spirit and have your way. Be glorified in me so that the world may know that I serve a God who reigns. Now Father, in the name of your Son, the one who died on Calvary, I pray over every single one under the influence of my voice, even those who are wrestling with a decision right now. I pray that you would move with might by your spirit upon their inner persons. You will bring transformation, healing and restoration into their hearts and lives so that the power of God will be demonstrably manifest in and through them so that our world will know that our God reigns. And we'll be careful to give praise, honor and glory to the one who is majestic, to the most powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you agree, say Amen. Come on church, let's celebrate every one of those decisions that was made this morning.